0: Go ahead and grab a seat, grab your Bibles, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. That'll be our primary text for the morning. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, there should be one somewhere around you that says the story on top of it. uh, It'll be page 831 in that Bible, so you can find your way. If you don't have that Bible, it's probably not page 831, Uh, but there's no shame in looking at the table of contents if you need to. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, uh, that Bible that says the story on top of it will be our gift to you. If you'd like it, you're welcome to take that home. Uh, The only thing we ask in return is the first couple of pages uh, that are printed in color. If you would read those when you get home, it'll give you a clear explanation of what we believe the whole Bible is about. And so I'd ask if you'd be willing to commit to do that when you get home, then that can be your Bible uh, as a gift from us to you. Um, here at Redemption Church, we exist to redeem the church and the community with the gospel by, anybody finish it for me? Making disciples. disciples. Some of you have been listening, that's good, by making disciples. And so uh, about once a year, we're going to do a series like this called Make Disciples, or we may call it Essentials of Discipleship, or Head, Heart, Hands, Habits. But the idea here is that, here's what I want you to hear from me today for you. You may Have come in here with all sorts of different scenarios. Some of you maybe came in and there's all sorts of family drama going on in your lives. Some of you came in and you feel spiritually dry and empty and you're exhausted and you don't even, you're you're really hoping to get a, a word of hope and encouragement today. Some of you are on fire and you're looking for where to go. Some of you have got habitual sins that are just owning you, and you're needing freedom from those things, and some of you have got just desperate situations that are just just, just plaguing your soul, and you're just in desperate need of God's grace today. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today, um, as I told you at the beginning of the service, is, is not going to be new or revelatory. There's not going to be any sort of novel, grand, brand new ideas today, we're going to look at just some basic principles, but I, I'm convinced the things we're going to look at today address all those situations. Because just like we didn't come up with a vision statement just to have a vision statement, right? That idea of we believe the way that we see this church redeemed, the way that we redeem other churches, the way that we redeem the community, the way that we glorify and honor God is by making disciples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to tell you, your, your pursuit of godliness is what's going to be the best thing for all those situations. If you're seeking wisdom, seeking peace, seeking freedom from habitual sin, you're seeking freedom from your family, the, the best step, listen, the best step you can take is to pursue godliness. I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that no matter what you walked in here with, that if you'll walk away with that, I mean, so you can tune out if you need to. I mean, if you, if you really soak that in and you know I need to pursue godliness and you need to tune out, tune out. But know that one thing. Everybody say, pursue godliness. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's what we've got to do. That's the number one thing we've got to do. Uh, many of you know I'm in, I'm in seminary right now, working on a doctoral degree, and uh, I'm halfway through my coursework. And so halfway through your coursework, you have to take a, a workshop called Mid-Career Assessment. Uh, which basically everybody through doctoral work has to take this one class. And it's really, honestly, an incredibly beneficial class. I wish everybody could take it. Um, It really is a wellness checkup for you. It's to check up for you spiritually, for you mentally, physically, your marriage, your finances. It's a very intrusive class. You have to share a lot of very private things. It, we really, it's, it's all about, hey, listen, we're glad you're, basically it's, hey, we're glad you're pursuing a doctorate, glad you're pursuing excellence, but how are you doing? It's a real, like, in-depth, let's check on you. Let's, and so you have to take these different surveys and tests and read these books and have these discussions that are all intrusive and looking into where you are spiritually, where are you deficient, where are you weak, where do you need to basically where do you need to deepen your pursuit of godliness? So I just I just got done in a doctoral seminar on pursuing godliness in my life. And I want to tell you some things that um that that I saw that didn't necessarily surprise me, but I wanted you to hear this because you you may today go Pastor, I've tried so hard. I know all these things you're going to say. I just can't get myself to stay consistent with this. I was in a class of about 30 doctoral students. There were many, many of those students, sadly, very deficient in this. Weren't having a regular quiet time. Very little prayer life. Very little pursuit of godliness. And it was a gut check for them to go into this class. I mean, a serious gut check. There were some men and women in that class that were in desperate need. That was odd. Um, in desperate need of, of the grace of Jesus Christ to make a move in their life to help them pursue godliness, right? And these are, listen, these are men and women who, who work for churches, who do this every day, Uh, there's no immunity to this. Just because, I need you to understand this, just because I'm standing right here behind the pulpit does not mean I'm better at this than you. It doesn't mean that that I've got some access to the Holy Spirit that you don't have. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that I get to stand here. It means there's a higher level of accountability. I'm going to tell you at the end of this, that's going to be one of the answers for you is a higher level of accountability. And so as we look at this, one of the first things I want to tell you, my first point, is I want you got to get your head in the game. We've already talked about this. We've already talked about head, heart, hands, habits, right? We're on habits now, so we talked about head and heart, and then we talked about hands. Chris did such a wonderful job last week talking about hands and, and how, how awareness and uh, affection lead to action. And we did such a good job of looking at that last week in the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, but just to kind of recap where we're at, if maybe you haven't been a part of this, the first step you got to do is get your head in the game. When I prepare my messages, I, I usually do a lot of it in a coffee shop uh, because I need stimulus around me things and I, I, I like to sit in that environment. And uh, Lately on Tuesdays, the coffee shop that I go to, there's been a, a small group of realtors that meet at the table right next to where I normally sit. And It's all these realtors and they're going through some book about how to become millionaires and, and they're discussing it together, and so sometimes I'll take a break and just eavesdrop and listen in on their conversation of all their tips of how to become a millionaire. And, uh, and so the other day, as I'm preparing for this message and I'm studying, I take a little break to eavesdrop and listen in on their conversation. And these realtors, talking about becoming a millionaire, start talking about basically head, heart, hands, habits. They weren't using those same exact words, but they were talking about getting your head in the game. It's the thing they kept saying, get your head in the game. And there's a part of me that goes, when people come and sit next to me when I'm discipling somebody at a coffee shop, do they, am I as cheesy as these guys are being right now? Like, do people feel the same way about, and maybe, I don't know. But I was listening, and they were talking about how, uh, one lady was talking about how, and she started to compare it to physical fitness, which the Apostle Paul does as well in our, our passage today. And and she, she started to compare it to her running. And she said, if when I wake up and I go on my run, I'm already dreading it and I'm tired and I don't want to do it, then at mile one, I start to get really tired. And I'm not sure how much further I'm going to go. But if I go with my head in the game, these are her words, if I go with my head in the game, then, man, I can get to mile five before I start feeling it. Which I was like, yeah, I'm going to feel it long before mile one, no matter how my attitude is. But I appreciated what she was saying, that idea of it really does matter where your attitude is. I mean, it really, not, not just your knowledge, right? Because again, today, chances are I'm not imparting much of or any new knowledge to you. This is not a matter, of, this is not a lack of information problem. This is an attitude problem. This is a, where's my head at? Get your head in the game. I don't know who your sports team is, but... Mine, I, as I watched them last night, I kept thinking, "Man, get your head in the game. And we know if you've played sports that it's your attitude even in sports, which is such a physical activity, right? Your, your attitude makes such a difference in a game. Momentum can change a game. Momentum's not something you can measure or touch or feel, but momentum can change a sporting activity. Momentum can change your progress in losing weight. Momentum can change your progress in getting out of debt. Momentum can change all these things. And listen, that same momentum can help you in your spiritual growth, in your pursuit of godliness, so you got to get your head in the game. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of, of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's verses 6 and the first part of 7. In chapter 4, when he says these things, we got to think through, what is Paul, why is Paul writing this letter to 1 Timothy? What are some of the things that he's covered? What are these things that he's talking about? Essentially, he's talking about the gospel and the implications of the gospel in the local church. So Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. Paul's playing this church in Ephesus. There's some things going on in Ephesus. So Paul has commissioned Timothy to pastor this, this church. And Timothy's a young man like myself, and he's pastoring this, this church in Ephesus. And so Paul gives these instructions. And he goes through elders and deacons and, and how to treat people and, and, and prayer and the implications of the gospel and all these things. And so now in this section, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, if you'll get your head in the game, if you'll put... These things before everybody, if you'll continue to teach the things I'm teaching you, you will be a good minister, a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith, this head knowledge, and the good doctrine that you have followed. But then he says something interesting have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. In your translation, it may say it a little different. It may say something about old women in your translation. Uh, the, the, the original language says something to do with like, the idea of suitable only for old women, but really the idea there is a colloquialism of like, old wives' tales. That's what it's saying. Like these old cliche sayings, these old kind of things that we repeat so often. When we've talked about the sufficiency of Scripture, we've usually talked about things that we think the Bible says, but it doesn't actually say, right? You you maybe have heard, uh, God helps those who help themselves. God won't give you more than you can handle. You've heard those phrases, and maybe you've even heard those as if those were Scripture. And if I'm the first one to tell you, I'm sorry, those aren't scripture, nor are they scriptural ideas. Those would be old wives' tales. Those would be irreverent, silly myths. Apparently, the world was supposed to end a couple of Saturdays ago. Did you pick up on that? Anybody else hear that? The world was supposed to end just a couple of Saturdays. I would have been okay with it, right? I wouldn't have been mad if that had happened. Matter of fact, I often long for the Lord to come back. I often long for that to happen. There's a a Greek word, Maranatha, which is, come quickly, Lord. I often mutter that under my breath when I go visit people in the ICU, when I see people uh, surrender their lives to addictions, when I see divorces happen, when I see tragic brokenness in this world, when I see hurricanes ravage an entire island, and and much of Florida and, and earthquakes hit Mexico. There's a part of me that thinks... Maranatha, man, that'd be great. But hopefully you know Scripture well enough, and if you don't, to know that we're not going to know when he's coming back. Right? So when anybody gives you a date and a time, I don't care how good their math is or, or what they're judging it off of. It's an irreverent, silly, old wives' tale. So Paul tells Timothy, be devoted, not distracted. Be devoted, not distracted. So looking at these things, let's go back to 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at, I want to look at a, bit, at a little bit from 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> In the beginning of this letter to Timothy, here's what Paul, after he kind of greets himself and those sorts of things, he jumps into instruction. And here's what he says as he jumps into instruction. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. This is the idea of get your head in the game. Don't be distracted by all these random things. Listen, there's a lot of of random ideas out there of what it looks like to grow spiritually. Today, I'm not going to list for you all the spiritual disciplines, we're going to go over some basics. And if we could take some, could take some good strides, some good steps in the basics, I'm convinced of this. There's a lot going on in the world. A lot of political mess, a lot of racial mess, a lot of economics, all sorts of things. A lot, a lot of bad things. in education, all these things. I'm convinced this is true. If all the people in America that claim to be followers of Christ... Let's, let's narrow it. Not even all those who claim. All those who are. If all the people in America who truly are followers of Christ, which I hope you know is a much smaller number than those who claim. All those If all the people who are followers of Christ were to truly, listen to me, truly pursue godliness in their lives and not get distracted, it would change this country. And this small church if all the people in this church who were followers of Christ, true followers of Christ, were to really take this idea seriously, were to get their head in the game and increase their affection for the Lord and pursue holiness and godliness in their lives. You, listen, you, if you, if everyone just in this room were in low attendance from a rainy day, so just you, you the faithful who are willing to drive in the rain and be here on a Sunday morning, if just you who call yourself followers of Christ and are, if you, if we were to truly pursue this, it would would not only change this church, it would change this neighborhood and eventually change this city. And I'm convinced it would change the world. Now, pastor, now you're really aggrandizing this. Jesus went down to 11 people. He had thousands following him. And he had one in the group who betrayed him. And he went down to these 11 who still struggled Right, you read the Great Commission, one of the most encouraging things in Matthew 28. The, the most challenging thing is the Great Commission. But right before that, in resurrected form, Jesus appears to the disciples to talk to them, and it says, and many of them still doubted. So, I'm not asking for you to have a perfect faith. I'm not asking for you to walk out of here and never mess up again. I'm just asking for you to get your head in the game and decide, I am going to pursue this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what it takes for me to pursue growth spiritually. And why? What is the target? Love, if we continue in chapter 1, love is the target. Verses 5-7 through in chapter 1. After saying, look, don't get distracted by all these debates and speculations and all these things, but steward the gospel well. He says in verse five, The aim of our charge is love. Everybody say love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, Paul tells Timothy, Look, don't don't get into these debates. Don't get into these debates over if we're supposed to do this, if we're supposed to do this, if we're supposed to have this kind of music or this kind of music. Read from this translation or this translation. Be in this denomination or this denomination. Vote for this party or vote for this party. Or do these things or do these things. Listen, don't, don't, don't sit here and try to debate and figure out when the world's going to end. Is it going to end on two Saturdays ago or is it going to end a thousand years from now? Is it gonna, don't get into these debates for which they, we only have speculation. The aim, the target is love. Let's let's get to where we're loving each other first and then maybe, maybe we could get to some discussions on those things. But let's love first. The aim, the target is love. Now, not just love, but listen, think about this, head, heart, hands, right? Listen. Love that issues from a pure heart. Affection. Affection, a pure heart. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, a clear conscience, our awareness and a sincere faith. Faith without works is dead. How does this play out in your life? Head, heart, hands. Love that has awareness and a clear conscience. Love that has a pure heart. Love that has a sincere faith that leads into action. Love that has head, heart, and hands. Not just an emotion. I'm not telling you here that the aim and the target is to have butterflies in your stomach for everybody you meet. But real, genuine love. Love that transforms, love that grows, love that makes a difference in your life and those around you. Affection, awareness, and action. So we've been hammering this idea we even gave you this book to help you with this and to try to set a, a roadmap for you. And if, you, if you're struggling with how to pursue godliness, um, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because I don't want to embarrass you. But I challenged you the very first week to take this book and go through the personal disciple-making plan and some questions that, just, or questions that really address how am I going to do this? What habits am I going to put in my life? And so if you haven't, if you haven't done that yet, We've got plenty of books left. Get one of these books. Go through those questions this week. Listen, this is, this is what's so uh, difficult about preaching a series and a sermon like this. Is I, so, I, I so desperately want you to get it. I so believe that this is truly the answer for whatever you walked in here with. But I can't, I can't convince you I can't make you do it. I can can put together a resource and I can put it in your hands and I can say, hey, do the homework, do the homework and you can roll your eyes at me. Homework, come on, man. I'm not trying to bash you with a legalistic hammer today. I want to tell you my hope. My hope is that you would see that your personal holiness is the best first step for you no matter what you walked in here with, that you would see the value in pursuing it. Because it said pursue godliness, right? The goal. The goal of these habits, the goal of this discipline is godliness. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 7b. What does he say? Go in, this is the second part of, the chapter, of verse 7. Back in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Rather, rather than all this, rather than being distracted train yourself for godliness not goodliness not being good godliness and being good aren't the same thing this is not this is not let me create a great to do list of spiritual things to do so that i can have a to do list this is in pursuit of godliness this is pursuit of you bearing more the fruit of the spirit this is in pursuit of you being more like christ this is pursuit of your transformation Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. See, the Apostle Paul agrees with me here. Rather, I agree with the Apostle Paul. No matter what you walked in here with, here, listen, listen, no matter what you walked in here with, financial problems, health problems, family problems, anxiety problems, listen, your self-discipline, your willpower is not the answer. Even if in your willpower you accomplish your goals and get rid of the problem you're trying to get rid of right now, it'll just transfer to another problem. Now, I'm not trying to imply that godliness doesn't have its problems. Pursuing godliness may even bring you more problems in your life. But here's what it gives you. The peace of Christ will rule your heart. You have a peace that the world doesn't even understand. No matter what the world throws at you, no matter what comes, no matter what happens, all of a sudden you'll have this peace, this direction, this wisdom, this guidance, this connection and communion with God that we were created for. And you can live in worship, and you read and listen and look at the stories of great men and women of faith throughout history and even today that go through much suffering but don't lose their joy. And you go, well, "How do they do that? How do they?" I'm going through far less than they did, and I struggle to maintain my joy because they made the pursuit of godliness the primary pursuit of their lives. So I'm not trying to create a to-do list for you. I'm, I'm hoping to help you see the prize here, help you see the benefit, and then if I can push you to chase it, it'll change your life and those around you. That's a promise. That's a promise. Will it fix all your problems? It won't it won't but it's the best first step it's the best first step towards fixing your problems towards having wisdom towards being able to be resilient enough to handle it to be able to make it through it to be able to have the endurance needed to go through the trials and strugglings to let god use the trials and tribulations in your life to grow you because if you go through it in your own willpower it'll just beat you down But if you go through those things pursuing godliness, it'll bring you strength and growth and maturity. And we don't have to run away from problems, we can run into them in the power of the gospel. Because godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. The gospel isn't just a ticket to heaven gospel is not just, how do I not go to hell? The gospel has great implications on your life and your problems today. For the present situation that you are in, the gospel is the greatest thing. Your pursuit of godliness is the best first step. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this End, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. The gospel isn't the road to a better life, it's that you get God. It's that Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had what was called shalom. Things were clicking. They, they got to live in that perfection, that relationship, the intimacy of a relationship with God. And they had one rule not to break. And just like you and I would have done it, just like you and I would have done it, they chose to go their own way. The Bible says when we choose to do that, listen, hear me, when we choose whether consciously or subconsciously, because chances are when you choose to sin, you're not weighing out. Should I do this God's way, or should I do this my way Now sometimes we do that, but chances are you're not even thinking through that right you're just going this seems like it would be more fun or pleasurable. It avoids pain, it avoids struggle it's 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 it helps me numb things, and so I'm going to chase this when we choose our own direction, when we choose our own way, the Bible says that is sin that is treason against a holy God, and that that the the wages of that what we earn is that is is Absolute eternal separation from him in death. And that is not an overreaction on God's part when we create, when we commit treason against a high and holy God. But God said, Listen, yeah, this world was subjected to futility, this whole thing is broken, but I've got a deep love for you, a love that's, that is immeasurable. Grace that is immeasurable, and this glory that is indescribable. And so, listen Jesus didn't die a painful and publicly humiliating, excruciating death. So, you could go to church and be a good person. He didn't go through that so you could just come, go to church and just be a good person. He came because he wanted to free you from the brokenness of this world, because he wanted to embrace you in his loving arms, because he wanted to have a deep relationship with you, because the thing that glorifies God most is you finding your joy and purpose of life in him. Not a secondary purpose, second to work and and family and responsibilities. A primary purpose, a first purpose. Not after you've taken care of everything else. But he, he died an excruciating, publicly humiliating death. Murdered on a cross after living a perfect and sinless life on this earth, so that you could be radically transformed in the midst of this broken world, so that you could have hope presently and for what is to come. So let's not treat this pursuit so casually. Not because we can ever pay Jesus back anything, but because it's really the only hope for our present struggles is to be transformed by the gospel it won't make your problems go away but it'll help bring you to wholeness so you can make it through this broken world and not just survive it but thrive in it have joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self control In your present situation, wouldn't those characteristics make it a little better? You won't find those on your own willpower. Those are fruit of the Spirit, of a pursuit of godliness. So what does he say? Command and teach these things. My heart cry for you is that you will take this seriously. You will not experience extraordinary transformation in your life with ordinary habits. You won't. Listen, ordinary habits, ordinary habits will not bring extraordinary transformation in your life. And listen to me, you need extraordinary transformation. You need it. I need it. And ordinary habits won't get you there. Have your Bible out in front of you real quick. I want to show you something. I'm going to skip ahead to even some of the passages we're going to get to in a minute. I'm going to read to you, listen to these imperatives, listen to these instructions. All these in this passage, just in starting from chapter verse 6, going to 16. Talking about pursuing godliness and, and right doctrine and scripture. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to point out some imperatives. Put these things before the brothers. Being trained in the word, you may want to you may want to highlight or underline some of these on you. You can do it now or on your own time, but just look at look at all the instruction here. This is not extra. This is not ordinary habits. He's telling you to take this to an extraordinary level. Paul, I, I feel the tension Paul has here as he's just over and over trying to say, "Man, make this your primary pursuit." Listen. Put these things before the brothers, being trained in the words of the faith. Train yourselves for godliness, because godliness is of value in every way. This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. We have our hope set on the living God. Verse 11 Command and teach these things. And then set the believers an example. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Do not neglect the gift you have given to you. Practice these things. Verse 15, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. Do you you see the intensity that Paul has in these instructions? Paul is not trying to make Timothy a good person and teach him how to make other people good people. We're not good people. We are bad people in desperate need of the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. And it has to be a serious pursuit in your life. You got to immerse yourself. You got to persist in it. You got to train yourself. You got to discipline yourself. You got to make this a serious, extraordinary effort in your life, or listen, you'll just coast on. And you'll just be, at best, a decent person. Don't you want more? I do. I do. Listen, I want more not only for me. I want more for you. I want more for this church. I want more for our country. I want more for this world. I want to see when these problems arise, the world go, let's look to the church. But they can't right now. Because so many of us have ordinary habits. We go to church. We read our Bibles. We pray before we eat. pray before we go to bed. We try not to do bad things. We try to be nice to people. That is not enough to get what God has for you. I'm not asking you to try to measure up. I'm asking you to chase more. To get more out of life. To not be so easily satisfied. But to go after more. Chase after more. I've, I've used this quote to death, but it's such an incredible illustration c.s lewis gives about how we are far too easily pleased sometimes we think our problem is that our passions are so strong that we're constantly giving in to our passions c.s lewis argues i think rightfully so it's no it's not that our passions are too strong it's that they're too weak it's that we're too easily satisfied he said we're like a little kid playing in a in a mud hole making mud pies and somebody comes and says hey i want to give you a cruise across the world you'll get to experience amazing things and you go I don't know what that is. So I'm just gonna do my mud pies. And we're so easily satisfied. There is more. Don't isn't there something in you that craves more in life? Men, isn't there something that craves more for your family? Don't you want, don't you want more for your kids? Don't you want more for your lost neighbors? Don't you want more for your friends? Don't you want more for you? Don't settle for good enough. Everyone in here ought to be thinking and praying and asking God and using. These resources aren't the Bible, but if you don't like it, don't use it. But don't don't use it as an excuse not to pursue this. This is just a tool to put in a toolbox to help you pursue this. be the greatest pursuit of your life if you'll do it. More reward will come from this, from anything else that you can do. So, so what should we pursue? We need to be devoted. Think of all those imperatives that Paul gives Timothy. We need to be devoted to transformational habits. I want to skip back to the book of Acts. We'll come back to First Timothy in a little bit when we close. I want to skip back to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I've brought this up a lot lately. Listen, there... There's not like an exhausted list of spiritual disciplines. Uh, some people will give in different lists. Richard Foster's written a book. Donald Whitney's written a book. There's some other books. Donald Whitney's book is really, really good. Highly recommend it. Um, you don't have to read those books. Listen, today, today, let's take some simple steps. First time in the gym, you got to lose weight. They don't, I mean, they don't kill you. You may, you may feel like they're killing you. But they don't kill you, right? And I'm not trying to kill you here. I'm not trying to give you, I'm not going to hand you a systematic theology book and a Greek New Testament and tell you to start parsing Greek verbs. Some very basic disciplines here foundational, transformational disciplines. Look at Acts. Let's, let's go back to the beginning, the beginning of the church, Acts 2 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul By day, those who are being saved. God, please, please give us a glimpse of that here. God, I know I'm not a good enough pastor, but you are a great enough God. Guys, if we would pursue godliness, we could see this happen. I'm not trying to make it complicated for you. Real easily. Let's look at some of the things. I want to break it down for you in a simple way to understand. Scripture intake. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Scripture intake. Think about what Paul told Timothy, right? He said, hey, teach these things, these right doctrines. Teach the scriptures. Teach the gospel. One of the the most important steps you can take to grow is to just flat out eat this thing eat it. In Donald Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines, he tells a story about a man who got saved as an adult and very shortly after he became a believer, he lost his sight and then he lost feeling in almost every extremity. So he tried to learn Braille, but he couldn't feel it. And, uh, and he, had ordered, he had ordered a Bible in Braille, but his fingers couldn't feel the The bumps enough to be able to read it in Braille. It's a true story. And then he heard a story about a guy who would, with his lips, there was enough in his lips that he could read Braille with his lips. So he tried it for days. He would put his lips, and he, he couldn't, he still couldn't feel it enough. And then one day, accidentally, his tongue hit the little bumps of Braille, and he realized his tongue could feel it. He was so devoted to consuming Braille, the Word of God, that he taught himself how to read Braille with his tongue and read the Bible in its entirety time and time again over and over and over with his tongue Why? Because his head was in the game, because his affections were aligned with God's call on his life, because he saw that more important than the struggles of his life, more important, as a matter of fact, because of all these things in his life, the most important first step he could take was to pursue godliness, and he knew he had to get God's word to do it. He knew he had to get in God's word to do it. There are countries where it's illegal to have Bibles. And so if you can smuggle a Bible into that city, people tear out parts of it and assign it to different people and they have to memorize that section and they pass it around. You, There's a video that went out of, of this place in In China, where it was illegal to have Bibles, they got these, somebody snuck a video, I don't know why they did it, because people probably got killed, but of opening Bibles, and as they're opening Bibles, they're weeping with joy over the opportunity to read God's word. How many of these do you have in your house? Do you have a smartphone? If you don't have one, take one. I'm honestly not trying to hammer you I'm trying to tell you, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you're chasing, it's not going to get you anywhere. This will. More than my preaching, it's like oxygen. You cannot consume enough oxygen right now to carry you for the rest of the day. I cannot impart upon you enough of God's word right now to carry you even past the parking lot. If all your intake is from me, it's not going to carry you very far. Some, just some, some suggestions. Reading. Make a plan. If you, if, you go through, if you go through the questions in here, in the personal disciple making plan, it will ask you, how am I going to read God's word? How am I going to memorize God's word? I would encourage you to meditate. Reading, memorizing, meditating, hearing, Sharing. Just do these things. Read God's Word. Memorize God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Hear God's word. And share God's Word. Scripture intake. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Biblical community. You need this. You need this corporately like we're doing right now. You need it in a small group of people and you need it in even smaller groups. We call them discipleship groups. If you don't like the name, then don't use the name. I don't care what you call it. You need to spend time with one or two other people on a regular basis looking at God's word. I have two, I have have, personally, I have two Guys, different guys, one that goes to this church and one that is a pastor at another church that I meet with virtually every week unless something happens we're studying god 's word together we're discussing god's word together we're asking each other accountability questions you You need that in your life if you if you've joined our church, then in the back of the membership book, you already have seen this in the back of this book we've got it where you can tear it out we've got. We've got some guidelines for you on how to do this. How to meet with somebody and and what questions to ask and some accountability. And if you need help knowing what to do, we're trying to give it to you. If you don't understand this, let us know. If you need help figuring out who you can meet with, listen, I, I, I want no excuses today. If you need help figuring out who you can meet with, grab a Connect card, write your name on it, somewhere on there write, need help, with a discipleship group. Drop in the offering plate when it comes. We'll contact you. We'll, we'll, do it. we'll figure out who to partner you with. Great thing about this system, listen, none of you have to be the leader or the teacher. Nobody has to be the leader. This is just people getting together after reading God's word, talking about it and praying together. It doesn't have to be a biblical scholar in the group. It's not required. There's no excuses here. Let's get in God's word together. Let's get into community together. Let's be a part of a small group. Let's, if you don't like your small group, tough cookies. I'll try to find you another one. We'll try to create one. But honestly, we, our tendency in our flesh is to complain and find enough reasons to not do things. There's a part of me that just thinks, sorry, sorry, be a part of making it better. Be a part of doing life together with those people. If you, listen, if you go, listen. This is I, look, whether you decide to leave this church or not, I'll be glad I said this. If you go the rest of your life deciding where you're going to go to church based off of what needs they meet of yours and what preferences they meet of yours, you will live a miserable, stale, stagnated spiritual life until something kicks you in the pants and makes you stop doing that you will never find the perfect church. You will never find the perfect small group. As long as you're in these, this is what it matters. Get in the Bible, get people in your life. Corporately gather with each other. It talks about the fellowship. Then it talks about breaking bread together, Have meals together. It talks about not only do they go to the temple and have their corporate gathering together, it says so they did that every day, and then they went and ate with each other. Listen, there's something very biblical about having a meal with people. I've been trying to push you on this for a while. Find somebody, listen, find somebody in this church you don't know very well and have a meal with them. Today, go to lunch. Have them over for dinner tonight. We don't do church on Sunday nights. Take advantage of that. Have people over to your house on Sunday nights. You don't even, listen, you don't even have to do anything super spiritual. Just get to know them. Just be friends with them, have people in your life that care about you, that love you, grow to love each other. Look at all. Look if you want to know what it means to do this, find all the one another's. You can Google it. You can Google one another's. Find all the one another's in Scripture, and this is how we are to have biblical community together. And then worship. It says so the breaking of the bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. So when I say worship, I'm talking about the ordinances. We're about to break and we're going to do the Lord's Supper together. In some sense, this is what it means when it says the breaking of the bread. But it also does mean meals together in each other's homes. There's a very biblical discipline to that. I'm encouraging you to pursue it. But to, to take the Lord's Supper together, to observe baptism together, ordinances, prayer, to pray on your own. We've got, we've got instructions in here on how you can pray the Psalms. We've got some prayers written out. You can pray over lost people. If you struggle with a stale prayer life, then get this book and turn to page 32. And there's a two-page article on how to pray through the Psalms. And if that doesn't help you enough, there's a link there, crossway.org backslash pray the Bible, where Donald Whitney will walk you through a video series. You don't even have to read anything. You just watch a video. I'm trying to make this as easy as I possibly can. And it'll teach you how to use scripture to bring new life to your prayer life. I don't know what to pray. Great. We're trying to help you. I'm trying to help you learn how to do that in this book. You can find that and do that. Prayer is a key part. You can't have a deep relationship with anyone if you don't talk to them. And then I, I put this one, I, I don't know if I've ever seen this listed on a list of spiritual disciplines, but I put it here because I think it's key. Awe. Oh. How are you doing spiritually? When we sing songs about the blood of Jesus... Is there awe in your soul? When you think about the gospel, are you in awe of who God is? This is a key part of godliness. Pursue awe in your life. Now, I want to give you one last habit. I'm going to read something at the end of the, the First Timothy chapter 4. The most effective, there's one habit that'll make all this happen in your life. The most effective spiritual habit is making disciples. Making disciples. When you try to do this in isolation on your own, you will hit obstacles and bumps in the road that will distract you and you'll stop. Pastor, I I can't. I'm not a good enough example. Listen. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been given the command to make disciples. If you're not doing that, you are in direct disobedience. I'm not trying to give you a legalistic push here. I'm telling you, how do you make this happen? How How do you make sure you're praying? How do you make sure you're spending time in God's Word? How do you make sure you're pursuing these things? By making disciples. If you have somebody that you're meeting with on a regular basis and you're going through God's... Listen, that can be as simple as being in a discipleship group together. Most people have not been discipled. And so if you just go through God's Word together and you go through this and then you've got questions and you call me or Pastor Chris or or Chuck and you go, hey, man, we needed to talk about this. And you set up meetings, you let us help kind of guide from the outside what you're doing. You can make disciples of each other. You can be iron sharpening iron. And then you can get more confident doing that. And then you can invite your lost cousin or brother or coworker into that group with you that's maybe interested. And you can start pointing them towards this because the way you learn anything best is by teaching it. It's proven, scientifically proven. You know what the least effective way to learn is? What we're doing right now. That's why this is not enough. I'm always pushing you and telling you this is not enough. This is the least effective way to learn something. Next is to discuss it, which is why we do small groups the way we do them. But the most effective way is for you to teach. So for some of you, you need to start making disciples. For all of you, you need to start making disciples. Some of you need to step up and be a Bible study group teacher. Start a new Bible study group. Some of you, just need to meet with somebody on a weekly basis and go through this together. I know you got your excuses, so Paul says this, and we'll close. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. So I'm going to tell you, either apply that to your age or apply it to your spiritual age. Some of you maybe aren't considered youth anymore, but spiritually you are. Spiritually you're still babies. Well, Pastor, I don't know about that. I've been going to church a long time. Are you active in making disciples? Does your life increasingly display the fruit of the Spirit? If not, you're a spiritual baby. You're still on milk. It's time to start eating meat. So let no one despise you, though, for your youth, but, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, until I come, devote. Everybody say devote. Here's that that kind of imperative again. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to applying. Exhortation is applying the word to you, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have. You all have a spiritual gift. If you are a follower of Christ, God has gifted you to be a part of edifying the body. Don't neglect it which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Everybody say practice. Practice. Immerse yourself in them. Everybody say immerse. Immerse. So that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch. Everybody say "Keep keep a close watch. On yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul has no intention of the readers of this taking it casually. He wants you to practice it. He wants you to immerse yourself. He wants you to pursue it. He wants you to devote yourself. He wants you to teach others. He wants you to keep a close watch on your life. He wants you to be active in this pursuit. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6 wants it to be your first pursuit. Pursue first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the rest of that stuff, the rest of that stuff will be added. What rest of that stuff? What in Matthew 6, he says, "Don't worry about a roof over your head, don't worry about food on the table. Don't worry about those things. I mean, the most basic things, don't worry about those things, but pursue first. But listen to me, before, first, in order of sequence, before work, before provision, before family, before safety, before comfort, before insurance before savings account, before any of these things, before breaking an addiction, before being a better person, before being healthy, before being nice, before being good, pursue first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The rest of us will be taken care of. Let's pray. God, I want to thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that despite how Good or bad my preaching has been. That it will be your word that makes an impact, not mine. It will be your spirit, not my persuasion. Lord, that we would pursue holiness. Lord, that we would we would eat your word. We would go after it. Lord, that we would be intentionally, intrusively in biblical community together. Lord, that we would pursue worship in our lives, that we would pursue your kingdom more than anything else in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, as a fruit of that pursuit, you would change the lives of the people in this church and their families and the city. let us take this seriously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.